Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us. And we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day. And I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events. And uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. Have your Bibles. We're going to go to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 13, and beginning at verse number uh, 16. 1 Samuel 13, and beginning at verse 16. And I know we've been in the series on holiness, but um, we won't be having service next week. And I didn't want to jump in it just to suspend it for a week, to jump in it, then suspend it for Thanksgiving week. And so um, I wanted to go a, a bit of a different direction. Amen. First Samuel uh, chapter 13 and beginning at verse 16. I wanted to talk tonight uh, about, about prayer and approach it from a little bit of a different angle. First Samuel 13 and 16 and Saul and his son uh, and Jonathan his son and the people that were present with them abode in Gibeah of Benjamin and my page just jumped on me I'm sorry uh, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash and the spoilers everybody say in the spoilers they came and the spoilers came look at somebody and tell them there's spoilers in your life amen the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. So they came out of three different camps. What did the Bible say they were? Spoilers came out of three companies. Amen. One company. My page is jumping all over me here. I think my iPad's possessed tonight. Amen. And the spoilers came at one company turned away. Turn unto the way that leadeth unto Oprah, Ophrah and the land of Shual. And another company turned away to Bethrahan. And another company turned away the way of the border that looked, uh, that looketh to the valley of Zibium toward the wilderness. Amen. So there were spoilers that came from three companies, three spoilers from the Philistines that came against the people of God. And so I want to talk to us about three Philistine spoilers tonight. I want to talk about three Philistine spoilers. And uh, Brother Roberto, I just got the correct translation on that. It's tres sabaturos Philistinos. Amen. Uh, the translation of the word spoiler was not going through Google. So uh, thank God for Pastor Garza in D.C. I sent him and said, how you translate the word spoilers? It's not translating. He said, basically it's saboteurs, amen, in Spanish. So uh, my notes to him didn't translate the word uh, spoilers. So it translated for him now, amen. Praise God. So I'm going to talk about three Philistine spoilers. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that we feel in this house. I pray, Lord, that you would have your way and speak through me and speak to me, O oh God. 
Lord, I'm praying that your blessings would be upon us. I'm praying, Lord, that you would have your mighty way in this house. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would do what only you are able to do. Speak with encouragement and strength and direction, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. We, we, all, we all have an enemy against prayer. Everybody say prayer. How many can say that you don't just wake up every day looking forward to prayer? Because the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, everything is fighting against you having a prayer life. Amen. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse 11 says, Now when all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So what Paul was saying, looking back toward the Old Testament, Paul says that all of this was written for us for an example. It was shown to us that we could parallel or that we could example those things. Those are the words of Paul. And he's explaining a huge, the huge price that doubt and unbelief took on the children of Israel. He noted that there are some that died in the wilderness and that never made it to the promised land. He then exhorts a New Testament church to understand that of all the accounts and the encounters in the Old Testament, they were written for instruction. Amen. He infers that the wandering of Israel can be a, a very well picture of what the church life and the saint will look like if we wander in doubt. Amen. Thank you so much, Brother Garson. And so he says we have to look to these as our example, as our example. We need to be able to look to these Old Testament stories and realize they have been given to us as an example. Amen. We've got to use these Old Testament stories to help us in our walk with God, and we have to use them to help us in our spiritual battle. William Grinnell wrote uh, in his book, and he said, so many go into the field against Satan, and so few come out conquerors. Because all have a desire to be happy, but few have courage and resolution to grapple with the difficulties that meet them in the way to happiness. Amen. Everybody wants to be happy, but not everybody is willing to fight. And so it is that we find uh, in this story that I read in your hearing that the same vein of thought is also running through the storyline in the text I read. God, in his great grace, passed to us a book. He preserved and canonized his holy word so that we can see what he has spoken in the past so then we might see where we are to go right now. Amen. I, I am confused by people who say they can't get a word from God. Evidently, they don't pick up their Bible. The Bible has the answer for everything in our life. Amen. Psalms 119 and 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Amen. Now the background surrounding this text, and, and give me a few minutes tonight, the background surrounding this text in the first three, is the first three years of Saul's reign as the new king of Israel. This battle he's about to go into will be his first one against Israel's arch enemy, the Philistines. Saul had already put together an army of 3,000 soldiers to help him defend the nation. Now remember, Saul 
was uh, Saul was in the cattle business. Saul was not, didn't go to the, the, king, the school of kings and a preparatory school for royalty. But God anointed him to be king at the request of God's people. And so Saul raised up an army of 3,000. 2,000, the Bible says, were under his command at Michmash. And 1,000 were under his, uh, the command of Jonathan, his son, at Gibeah. The Philistines were formidable armies against Israel. And, and for Saul and his men, as you can see, as it plays out through the rest of 1 and 2 Samuel, that the children of Israel are constantly at war with the Philistine people. But as for 1 Samuel 13, it's not difficult to see that the Philistines were breathing down their neck with fear and intimidation. They surrounded them. They were throwing threats and accusations and intimidation at them. And the clues uh, are found in this very chapter, chapter 13, as to what was going on. In verse 4, it says, Israel had an abomination with the Philistines, meaning that the Philistines were not pleased that now the Israelis or the Hebrew people now had a king and they hated that and because of that they were not pleased and so they had already defeated the Ammonites in battle and their king and now they're standing before Israel and their new king and they want to take them down. Verse 16 says the people were distressed. It literally means that they were squeezed and pressed together in great difficulty. We may know what that's like to be squeezed and pressed together in great difficulty in our personal life, uh, but we've been blessed as a people, as a nation. We don't know what it's like to be squeezed and pressed into great difficulty like that. Not since the Great Depression have we, thank God, seen anything like that. And I pray uh, that we don't again, but uh, it ain't looking so good on the horizon. Amen. They were pressed together. The people had fled to the limestone caves. Those who could not make it to the caves hid in the thickets and were found in the clefts and the fissures of the rock. Some managed to find uh, high places, which were secret holding places like stone vaults in, in the sides of the mountain. Lastly, they hid in, in pits that were reservoirs of, of old wells where it was fed by the rain, and they would go to draw water. And since there was no rain, the pits dried up, and this is where a lot of the Israelites uh, hid that couldn't make the climb up into the high places. In uh, verse number seven of that same chapter, it said some of the people actually fled to Gad and Gilead, which would be the northeast of Jerusalem across the Jordan River to the east and above the Dead Sea. Israel was literally on their heels because of their fear. They were literally falling back at just the mere threat of what this great army of the Philistine people would do. They were on their heels and they were... Uh, running to try and hide from them. But victory, our hope for victory can get choked out, not in the battle, but it alone, but our victory can get choked out, amen, when we look at the enemy and how great he is, how powerful his army is, how vast their numbers are, how advanced their weaponry is, Amen. We can, we can let victory be squeezed out of us when we're intimidated by the tactics of the enemy. Remember, this is Israel's first war as a nation under a king. This is the first battle that their new king is going to step into. 
and they don't know how he is going to respond. All they know is he is head and shoulders above everybody else, and he is a good herdsman. They don't know that he's a good warrior. They don't know if he's a good leader, much less they had no professional army. They had to raise up 3,000 men to be able to fight against an army that vastly outnumbered them. And so Israel was in fear when they saw that the land was encamped with such a vast professional army that just defeated a stronger people than them and the Amorites. And so now they are in fear. We live in that same choke point in our walk with God. Our victory depends on more, uh, depends more on our faith and hope and trust in God than in the strength or the weakness of our foe. We have to believe that God is able. Amen. We have to look at the enemy and no matter how overwhelming the odds are, we have to believe that God is able. We need to have more confidence in God's strength than we have in their weakness. Amen. Listen, fear will mess you up. Fear will mess. I preached on this uh, Sunday uh, in, in, in Vacaville and I was talking about uh, getting the joy of the having faith in God and stop worrying about every little thing that comes your way because fear will cause you to shift blame just like Adam tried to shift blame fear will make you lie just like Abraham did about Sarah fear is going to mess you up fear will make you run like run to Laban just like Jacob did fear will make you build a golden calf just like Aaron because he feared the people fear will cause you to lose your promised land just like the ten faithless spies. Fear will cause you to back down from Goliath. Fear will put you behind the wine press trembling like a coward just like Gideon did. Fear will make you run from Absalom just like David did. And fear will cause you to sink on the stormy sea just like Simon Peter did. Somewhere you have to learn that you must walk by faith and not reaction to fear and stand up and say the God who I serve is well able to deliver me. Amen. You've got to quit. We, we've got to quit looking at the numbers in the world and be focused and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. When we look at the people on our job, it is a daunting task. When we look at the people in our schools and in our university, it is overwhelming. The numbers are greater than they are here tonight and in our campuses. We are outnumbered 10,000 to one, unbelievers to believers. But our eyes are not to be focused on what we don't have and what they do have. We're supposed to reverse that vision and focus on what they don't have and what we have. And what we have is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what they don't have is hope in their own life. Amen. Praise God. When we talk about evangelizing our community and seeing a great revival sweep across our county, it seems overwhelming and daunting. But I refuse to look at the advancement of the Philistines. I choose to look at the capability of my God who is able to supply all our need according to his riches and glory. Amen. Now, the Philistines were feared by the people of Israel because of their massive numbers. Not only was Israel fearful of them, uh, but all of the surrounding nations and all of the other people. If you had good sense, you feared the Philistines. You didn't want to pick a fight with them. You, you, you didn't want to jab them in the eye. 
Amen. These were a monstrous people. These were a powerful people. Their claim to fame and notoriety was the wooden chariots, uh, the wooden chariots that they used. That don't seem like much to you, but wooden chariots were tremendous uh, technologically advanced tools in the arsenal of an army back then. Most people would go there generations without seeing a chariot being ridden in war, overlaid with, with all kinds of metals, and, and the soldiers were, were very powerful. They, they had never seen, it, it was likened unto the Taliban fighters who had never seen uh, Apache attack helicopters. They had never seen, uh, they had never seen fighter jets swoop in. They, they lived in the Stone Age. They fired rifles and slingshots. And when the U.S. military came in and, and they saw the technology, it was overwhelming. They couldn't believe that that's what Israel was looking at. They had basically been living in a military Stone Age. All they had was slingshots and bow and arrows. They didn't have horsemen. They didn't have chariots. And here is this well-advanced army stepping on the field. Amen. They had managed to discover uh, the, the power of using wood and iron together to strengthen those ancient vehicles. The wheels had attachments to hold swords so that when they were driven through the, the uh, enemy army, they, would, they became primitive and violent meat cutters as they protruded out of the wheels of those chariots. They had never seen anything. All they had known by the defeat of the many nations that the Philistines had taken down was that if you got on the battlefield with them, you would die a horrific death because they were such a powerful army. When the Philistine army deployed at Michmash, uh, many of the Israeli soldiers became deserters and fled the battlefield, and then they found caves to hide in. When you trace back history, most scholars believe that the Philistines came from the Phoenicians, and they were idolatrous and spent much of their time worshiping uh, uh, Dagon and Asheroth. Perhaps the, the vilest of all the Phoenicians would come uh, one of Israel's queens. Her name was Jezebel of the Zidions and uh, was attached to the Phoenicians and she corrupted Israel with Baal worship and idol worship. Amen. We are facing the spirit of Baal right now in this nation. This is what the whole transgender ideology is. It's, it's an ancient spirit of Baal worship. Amen. Baal worship made women pretend to be men and men pretend to be women. And more importantly, uh, to, to parallel, was that they would do that to their children. Amen. It's an ancient spirit that has resurfaced in the world again today. If you look in the Bible and do a research in the word Philistine, you can see how they operated to be destructive. The Philistines envied uh, the blessings of God on Abraham. The Philistines stopped up the wells of Israel. The Philistines offered their idolatrous gods to Israel. The Philistines shaved Samson's hair, burned out his eyes, and put him to work like an animal grinding corn. The Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant from Israel. The Philistines beheaded Saul's body, stripped him of his army, and took him to their house of idols. The Philistines are listed in multiple places as being, as being in battles against the Israelites. Every, they did everything that they could do to unsettle the people of God. They took it upon themselves to be that festering sore in the side of Israel. Any chance they had, any opportunity they would have, they would take their chances to take out and to annoy and try and annihilate the people of God. The word that the writer uses in our text under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost is, is a picture in even greater detail for us. The Hebrew writer 
uh, used the word in Hebrew, sokahath, uh, uh, which means to ruin, to corrupt, or to decay. That's what the word spoiler means in the Hebrew. It means to ruin, to corrupt, or to decay. Say that with me. To ruin, to corrupt, or to decay. In the moral sense, it simply means to pervert and to corrupt. When you look at how this word is used in other Old Testament verses, you, you will see that same Hebrew word, uh, uh, shakahath, you will see it used 146 times in various ways in the Old Testament. Let, let me go through it from it. It says battered. One time it was used as battered. Uh, corrupt 11 times. Corrupted 11 times. Corrupters two times. Corrupting one time. Corruptly. Um, and and, and I, I, if you want to read all of these 165 uh, verses of it, it's just ask me, I'll copy, you go verify every one of these, amen. 68 times it was said that that word was used, meaning uh, destroy. 21 times destroyed. Destroyer, three times. Destroyers, one time. Destroyest, one time. Destroyeth, two times. Destroying, five times. Destruction, one time. Down, one time. Loose, one time. Mar, one time. Marred, three times. Off, one time. Perish, one time. Sp uh, spilled, one time. Spoilers, twice. Uh, thing once, wasted once, and waster once. Other translations use the word spoiler in, in different ways. The NIV calls it raiding parties. The American translation calls it raiders in detachment. The Jerusalem Bible said it is a raiding contingent. See, these Philistine spoilers left the camps in three detachments. They went in three different directions. This was a common military strategy that was used in those days because it provided greater options and mobility to the attackers. But the direction that the spoilers really took speaks to the murderous motivation that rested in their souls. Their efforts were strategic in an effort to destroy Israel. They wanted to corrupt Israel. They wanted to decay Israel. Amen. That was their intention. We have spoilers in the world that we live in today. There were three spoilers of the Philistines. There are three spoilers that are being sent as a contingency from hell against your life too. Just as, just as Israel had to fight the three spoilers of the Philistines, you have to fight three spoilers. And they are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they will attack you from all three different directions. They are not the same, but they are allied with one another. Amen. When we are unprepared, the spoilers come. When we are confused about which direction we are fighting against, the spoilers will come. When we are in places of prosperity and blessing, the spoilers will come. When you get in a position of willful and proud ignorance, the spoilers will come into your life. When you think you don't need prayer anymore, the spoilers are going to come. When you think you're holy enough, the spoilers will come. When you think you've got a hook on living for God, the spoilers will come. When you got ought in your heart against your brother or sister, the spoiler will come. When you get bitter at somebody, the spoiler will come. The enemy has been working 
his tactics since the ancients of days. Amen. And the Bible says we should not be ignorant of the tactics of the enemy. Don't let your guard down. Don't let your offense leave you wide open because the spoiler will come. Amen. The world, your flesh, and the devil will come in from different directions and they will try to spoil what God is doing in your life. Notice, I didn't say they just wanted to chop your head off spiritually. They want to corrupt you. They want to demoralize you. They want to decay you. You've got to keep, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil. Walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You need to wake up. I, I know it's October 31st and we're coming to the end of the year and a lot of people put on cruise control and they wake up spiritually, amen, around Sunday of sacrifice or visions. No, you got to be sober. You can't afford to take one week off of living for God. Matter of fact, you can't afford to take a day off in living for God. I dare say you can't take an hour off or a minute or one second off in living for God because the spoiler lies at the door and he will do everything he can to deceive you. The first place they went was to Ophrah in the vicinity of Shual. Ophrah was located in the tribe of Benjamin. If you'll remember, Rachel died while giving birth to Benjamin. Remember this, in Genesis 35 and 18, uh, the Bible says, and it came to pass as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Beninoi, but his father called him Benjamin. Now, the original name Beninoi, some of you may know this, the original name means sorrow. That was some of her dying words as she was giving birth to that little boy. She cried out in her death throes and called him sorrow. But soon after she passed away, Isaac lifted that little boy up and called his name Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand or the son of power. He was saying, Israel was literally saying, Jacob was literally saying, there is power in my sorrow. The right hand has always been symbolic of strength and power. Oh, hallelujah. And Benjamin, or, or Israel rather said, I'm going to take sorrow and I'm going to call him a man son of my right hand so that there is power in my sorrow. Do not waste your sorrow. Do not waste your trial. Do not waste what you have been through. God wants to use it for a testimony. God wants to use it for his glory. You may have had sorrow in your life, but God can turn your sorrow into power. Can you say amen? The Philistine spoilers of our generation want to come in and shut down our ability to weep. The Philistine spoilers want to come in and shut down our ability to cry and intercede as a church. Churches now are very familiar with dancing, but true weeping and intercessory prayer is a thing of the past. I don't measure a church by their ability to dance and run and shout or gather a crowd. Rock concerts do that all the time. Just slap the name of Jesus on it and you're in competition. The true measure of a church is do they know how to pray? Do they know how to intercede? Do they know how to weep? 
Do they know when it's time to slip into intercessory mode? Intercessory prayer has fallen on hard times. I remember, uh, as a matter of fact, I remember in my earliest days, my earliest memories in the church was laying under the pew during prayer meetings and falling asleep to the sounds of the wailing and the intercessory prayer that reverberated through that building. Amen. If something were like that were to happen in the vast majority of our churches, we would try to get somebody on the music to shut it down because we wouldn't know what to do with it. But there is a place for the intercessor and there is the place for the weeper. Amen. The Bible says, uh, he that sows in tears shall reap in joy, reap in gladness. Amen. And so the, I, I think the reason why some folks aren't harvesting a lot of gladness is because they're not sowing enough tears. The Bible says when Zion travails, what? She brings forth her children. Amen. We want children, but we don't want the labor pains. Amen. There is no, there is no spiritual cesarean. Amen. There is only the natural birth of the soul into the church of the living God. And the only way that happens, there is no epidural. There is no pain medicine. There is nothing that can take the pain of those contractions and that birth away. God designed it that way. And when his people agonize in prayer, and when his people weep in prayer, and when his people intercede in prayer the Bible said if Zion travails she will bring forth her children the Old Testament prophet said I would that there was somebody that would weep between the porch and the altar I wish there was somebody that knew how to intercede and how to pray the old prophet said I wish that my head were waters and my eyes were fountains of the deep that I might weep for the transgression of our people amen we've got to read I know I'm preaching strong on a Tuesday night We've got to reevaluate our walk with God when we're only comfortable to clap and to shout and to be happy. We need to step into dimensions of intercessory prayer that will stir up the deep of the supernatural. We cannot have true revival without true weeping. We cannot have true harvest without true sowing. And we cannot reap souls until somebody has sown with tears. Amen. I'm I'm getting you ready for awakening, but I'm getting you ready for Sunday. I'm getting you ready for Wednesday. I'm getting you ready for Saturday. If you want to see souls born again, then honey, you've got to get on the delivery table and you've got to learn to push in prayer. You've got to learn to weep and intercede. You've got to be willing to travail and call out on the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. Somebody just lift your hands to the Lord and say, use me, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. I believe if we resurrected some of our pioneers of Pentecost, I believe if we, I, I, I can sense that you feel that troubling of the water. Amen. And, and, and we're not doing a whole lot of emotion tonight. That's, that's fine. Uh, I grew up with the saying, they always used to say, still waters run deep. Amen. Uh, you knew when you were at the river, if you could see ripples and you could see strong currents, it was quite possible you might be able to walk across it because there was rocks that were bringing a disturbance to the water. But when that water was clear and that, and, and that, and that surface didn't move a lot, you knew that water was deep because the current was way down in the bottom. 
Amen. We're not running and dancing and shouting and jumping over pews and back flipping and yeehawing. Amen. But that does that is not indicative of the deep current that is running beneath the surface right now that the Holy Ghost is trying to awaken in his church and say, thank God for your talents and your abilities. Amen. We got better buildings than we've ever had in the history of the church. We got better talent than we've ever had in the history of the church. We got better preaching than we've ever had in the history of the church. But one thing we lack in the church today is people that know how to pray and intercede before God and get into a battlefield of spiritual warfare and say I'm not praying about a new car I'm not praying about a better job I am praying thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven somebody that weeps somebody that prays somebody that agonizes let me ask you something, child of God. When was the last time you prayed so hard you thought your insides would turn out of your mouth? When was the last time you wept until you felt contractions in the womb of your spirit? That's what God is calling his people to. And God is saying you better beware of the three spoilers of the Philistines that are going to try to take away your prayer life. We have so relegated church to 90 minutes of emotion. If I'm rubbing your cat the wrong way, turn it around. We relegate a church to 90 minutes of emotion. We try to cram it into 90 minutes of what we can do with our emotion. Amen. I'm going to make some of you uncomfortable, don't, but don't worry. We've relegated to can the praise team perform. I'm going to take off my glasses because I know I'm going to make some of you mad. This ain't my intention. I remember years ago, before a great shift in revival broke out in, in Vacaville, after a few years after we'd been there, I remember getting up and saying, I would to God I could put a mirror on this platform wall here so you could see your faces during worship. Because some of you need to inform your face you've got the Holy Ghost. And when this praise team is up here intending to lead you in worship, they have to overcome the venom of your face. Well, I, hey, they didn't like it about 13 years ago when I said it, and I know you ain't going to like it tonight. They're not up here to entertain. So that, that, that's the biggest mistake we've made. We have pushed so hard for production value. Thank God for Brother Lucas. Thank God for the labor and, and that they have in the music and the worship and all this. But we labor to try to get it as best as they can so that it might be pleasing one to the Lord, but appealing two to you. Amen. And then we come in and we get spoiled. If it's, if it's not the song we want, if it's not the way we want it, if it's my dad called me some time ago, and he was getting, in, getting back in church. Thank God he's still in church. Been in, been in church a year now, getting in church. And he called me, he said, son, I'm struggling. I said, with what? He said, son, I hate this new music. He said, I'm, this ain't, you, you know, this ain't real music. I don't, and he, he, was, he was losing the victory on me. I, I'm, I, can't, I can't worship with this new music. I don't like this new music. And he just went on and on and on. It don't have any message to it. 
And granted, some of it's stupid. I'll give it to you. I'll tell you. Brother Luke will say, if I don't like the song, I'll tell him after church, don't do that song again. And so because I didn't like the tone or the tenor, maybe, maybe, maybe it just didn't connect. Maybe it just didn't, you know, whatever. Right? I preach stuff that y'all go, God, I hope he never preaches that again. Is it safe to put my glasses on? Yes, Amen. I said, Dad, he's going, I can't stand that stuff. I can't say that. I don't like the beat. I don't, I don't like the music. I don't like... I let him go on for about 10 minutes. I don't, and I'm trying to interject. Dad, I get it. I get it. I, yep, yep. I, all this new stuff. You got you to gotta know. Remember, he's been out of church 25 plus years. Last time he was in church... They were still singing out of the hymnal. Right. I mean, the church I came out of was behind the time a good 20 years. And he, he said, I this new stuff. I want to hear some good old goodness. I want to hear this. I want just go. And I finally stopped. I said, hey, 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 hey. Whoa, 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 whoa. I said, you know what? You need to suck it up. You need to pray through. Well, I just don't like it. I can't get into it. I said, find me a scripture in the Bible that says, when the music is pleasing unto my ears, shall I worship the Lord? And I said, just remember that some of that stuff you were singing and shouting to with the Hensons and the Goodmans and all them, that was new stuff. And the old people in the church didn't like it then because it was new to them. And please, for the love of all that's holy, find me a scripture that says singing to the Lord the old song. And I think if you know me, you know I love old songs. But we can't make a doctrine out of this. I said the Bible, I said I believe it was over 23 times David commanded them, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord a... Now, I like old songs. I sang an old song on Sunday. I'll sing old songs from time. My point is this. He was getting so twisted. I said, Dad, you got to reevaluate. They aren't there to entertain you. It's not a sanctified jukebox that you put your tithe and offering in the offering plate and you give a song selection and next Sunday they'll sing, Won't We All Be Happy Over Yonder? They're not going to, that's not how it works. They're up there to worship the Lord and hopefully inspire you to worship the Lord. But if you've already determined you can't worship the Lord because you don't know the song, you're going to church for the wrong reason. Amen. He didn't, he took it about like some of y'all are taking it right now. Amen. And then he called me a few weeks later. And he said, you know what? He, he just, it was out of the blue. He said, no, no, I just went back. I took him back for back surgery. We were driving back from Little Rock from the hospital and, and he was all doped up on the pain medicine after that back surgery. You know, it, pain medicine loosed his tongue up a little bit. And he looked at me, he goes, you know what, son? Some of that new music ain't so bad. Some of that new stuff, it, it's not so bad. If the music didn't change, your attitude changed. We've got to change our appetite for what we think worship and church is supposed to be. If they get up here and sing a song that we've never heard before, we ought to find a way to worship with it. If they get up here and sing a song that we've heard a million times, they ought to find a way to worship with it. If they're up here, if the song is about God, if the song is lifting Him up, if it's giving Him praise, if it's giving Him glory, if it's giving Him adoration, then we ought to worship. I don't. That goes the other way around. If we're singing out of a hymnal, you ought to find a reason to shout about that. 
Amen. But in all of that, they're coming off. Get ready. In all of that, you've got to adjust your posture and how you're going to worship the Lord. Are you here for religious uh, a ritual? Are, are you here just because it's what we do on Sunday and Tuesday and Thursday for prayer if you're super spiritual? Is that what we do? No, we come in because the service really isn't about me. It's about Him. It's rendering service unto the Lord. And the last time I checked, not only does God care how we do it, but he cares the attitude in which we give when we do it. Half-hearted hallelujahs don't go any higher than your hairline. So you might as well make up in your mind, if I'm going to shout hallelujah, I'm going to shout it from my gut. If I'm going to clap, I'm going to do it till it stings my hands. If I'm going to jump feet or clearing carpet, I'm going to worship the Lord in spirit spirit, little s, that means emotion and in truth and the truth is God is worthy God is good all the time he's worthy to be praised fast song, I'll shout, I'll cry, I'll dance slow song, I'll shout I'll cry, I'll dance because he's good and he's worthy to be praised amen and so, amen look at, look at your neighbor and tell him inform your face you got the Holy Ghost Amen. So when you come, and you may not, and you may not think people, people are looking. I would to God everybody had the opportunity to sit on the platform just once. Just once during the singing. Just once during the preaching. Amen. There's a reason why I don't wear contacts anymore. I want to be able to not look at what I have to see looking back at me. Amen. If you, took, if you spent umpteen hours preparing a meal and people walked in and opened up a box of McDonald's, you'd probably lose it. When I got home and mama cooked goulash for the third time that week. And if I said I didn't want goulash, guess who had to eat an extra helping of goulash with a slice of humble pie? You were going, oh, you don't want goulash? And they tell me right now, there's kids starving right now. They'd love some goulash. And you are full and she'd pour another bowl and say, you eat that? You finish that? And she'd be mad. If she was still mad in the morning, which was a high probability because nobody could hold a grudge like Betty Lynn Wisnett, you'd wake up in the morning for breakfast and there'd be cold goulash and you'd better eat it before the bus got there. So I might be slopping some goulash at you, but you need to just belly up to it and say, okay, Pastor, I, I, I think I get what you're trying to say here. Amen. Amen. Because you, you, may, you may think, well, Pastor, I'm not going to sit and be fake for you. I'm not going to sit there with a Cheshire cat grin just to try to impress. It's not about impressing me. It's about the Lord. It's about him. He said, well, God sees my heart. He also sees your ugly contorted face half the time when they're singing and worshiping. And you're up here sitting like this and wondering, when are they going to make me happy? When are they going to make me happy? And God's looking at that saying, inform your face that I put eternal life in your soul, son. Amen. And, and just think about this. You've been telling everybody how great God is and how much you love him. It just gets sweeter and sweeter as the day goes by. But it looks like your face has been sucking on a sour lemon for two weeks. People around you are going to look at you when you're worshiping. That's why David said that I won't tell you how God good, good God is alone. I will show you how God good God is. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation is the joy of the whole earth. It's Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. I will bless the name of the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be 
in my mouth. My soul that make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all his fear. I'm telling you, when you serve a God that good, you can't help but smile when you worship. You can't help but have the joy of the Lord in your life. And just as we need to have, now I got, I, I, I got to, remember I operate in all nine gifts and three yet undiscovered. One of them's a gift of suspicion, and even without my glasses, and I'm blind as a one-eyed bat right now. I can feel it. Well, I don't know if I believe in all that. You don't have to. You don't have to. Just like you don't believe that, people sitting near you don't believe you got the Holy Ghost either. Not the same kind they got. Because the Holy Ghost I got makes me want to love everybody. It makes me want to love everybody. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Amen. You need to, you need to show the joy of the Lord in your life. Amen. God's good. God's good. We ought, to be, we ought to be in here acting like, man, don't dismiss. Keep this going. Rather than, I got medicine to take. I wish they'd shut up. I wish they'd sing the songs a little bit shorter. Amen. But just in that sense, you know, there, there's this gratitude for God's house that has just, just abdicated from this generation. It's just absent. Just the joyfulness to be in the house of. We used to sing, I'm glad to be in God's service. Glad to be in God's service. Glad to be in God's service one more time. He didn't have to let me in. He didn't have to let me in, but I'm glad to be in God's service one more time. But we come in with like, you better be glad that I'm in this service. Just be glad that I'm in this service. Be glad I came to this service one more time. I could have played rum and gin. I could have got a case of the bins, but I'm, you better be glad that I'm in your service one more time. And when we, when we lose the attitude of the gratefulness of the house of God, we lose the weepers. Great revival moments have always hinged on the ability of saints and of churches and of the people of God to give themselves to intercessory prayer. Sister Freddie Trammell, in her book called My, The Prayer Journey, I highly recommend it, has said this about intercessory prayer. She said, intercessory prayer is filling the gap between someone and or a situation in God. It is, in my thinking, grasping either the hand in one spirit of that person for whom one is interceding, stretching the width and grasping the other hand to the, uh, to the hand of God. That's what intercessory prayer is. It's filling in the gap. Then she said, then with travailing, agonizing prayer, you pull, 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 pull until you make connections with both hands that you are grasping. When the hand of God touches the situation for which you are praying, the answer will be there. 
Anything that is touched by the hand of God is going to be changed. And that's what intercessory prayer is. You are grabbing in one hand the hand of God and you are grabbing in one hand the hand of the person or the thing that you are praying for and you pull through prayer and you pull through intercession and you pull through weeping until those two hands meet. Intercessory prayer is never accompanied by a serene, beautiful setting. Sometimes there's fasting involved. The Apostle Paul said, it's often accompanied by groanings which cannot be uttered that'll escape the lips of the intercessor. A woman in labor is compared with the person who travails and intercedes in prayer. She's also included in a prayer that Prophet T.W. Barnes prayed in various ways over the years. Someone recorded him praying. Often he would say, quote, in the name of Jesus, I cut off Satan's line of communication to all these that we are praying for. In Jesus' name, I cut it off, Lord. We plead the blood. And now, Holy Ghost, talk to them where you have silenced the enemy. Talk to them in the morning, he prayed. Talk to them in the noon. Talk to them at night. Talk to them in their bed at night. Make them dream about eternity. Make them dream about the rapture. Make them dream about hell. Talk to them, Lord. Talk to them all day. Talk to them all night. Amen. And while that may seem like an awfully simple prayer to pray, there's something about feeling the burden of intercessory prayer that will cause great sorrow to well up in your soul. You see, the spoiler comes in and does everything that he can to destroy the motivation for intercessory prayer in our life. Let me just name a few of the most prevalent. Let me name the America's top 10 hits of what he will use in your life. He will use recreation to stop intercessory prayer. Recreation. You know, if you spell recreation real slow, if you separate the prefix from the actual word, you know what you get? Recreation. I thought God was the God of creation. If we're not careful, we'll let recreation Start creating a void between us and the Lord. He'll get you to hold a grudge. He'll get you to be offended. He'll get you to criticize. He'll embitter you over life situations. He'll stop you from coming to church. He wants you to see all the imperfections of the church members around you. And that's the way the spoiler works. Our prayer closets are really mirrors of our spiritual condition. Let me say that again. Our prayer closets are really mirrors of our spiritual condition. Effective prayer is either hard at work or it's not at work at all. Self-exposure of your true spiritual condition only comes in prayer. Not in your dance. Not in your shout. We have so blurred the lines in the last 25, 30 years that we think the health of a church or a person is determined by how much they can shout in a service, how much they can dance, or one of the most foolish, how large the attendance is. That's not how spiritual conditions are determined. They're determined in prayer. Spiritual deformities are exposed to us. Where? In the place of prayer. Carnality will not be discovered behind a, a computer. 
Carnality is not discovered in front of a TV. Carnality is not discovered, amen, in recreation. Carnality can only be discovered in a chamber of prayer where you are alone with God and you expose and lay yourself open to the Lord and his spirit to touch something in your life. Prayer meeting should always leave us changed, but the job of the spoiler is to put you in a state of prayerless paralysis where you just kind of go through the motion and nothing really changes. The first place the spoiler wants to destroy is that place of intercessory prayer. What if, you're, what if I were to tell you tonight <coughs> that the condition of someone's soul rested on your ability to get in contact with God on their behalf? I want you to think about what I just said. What if I were to tell you that the condition of someone's soul and their salvation would be dependent upon your ability to grab God in one hand, them in the other, and pray until that connection is made. Would it make a difference in how you pray? Would it make a difference in where you pray and why you pray and how often you pray? The second place that the spoilers went, and I'm trying to hurry to a close, was a place called, a place called Beth Moran. You go back to Joshua 10, you will find a great deliverance and victory took place there when God helped Joshua and his men defeat an alliance of 10 kings. Joshua 10 and 7 notes them to all that they, that they were all, quote, people of war and the mighty men of valor who are engaging in this war. But when you read down further, you will discover that God rained down a hailstorm on the opposing armies so that it destroyed them, so that the storm destroyed more in that storm than the warriors of Israel could when God stepped in. The Philistine spoilers went back to a place where God's deliverance had been and determined that they would take that place as a stronghold. Listen to me. You have to be vigilant in places of past victory in your life. The, listen, the devil wants nothing more than to get you to fail in a place where God had given you victory. The devil would love nothing more than to go back to that addiction God delivered you from. That attitude, that spirit, that lifestyle that God brought you out of, the devil would love nothing more than to take you back to that spot and wreak havoc in your life. A New Testament principle of this is noted in the words of Jesus in Matthew 12 and 43 through, 30, uh, 43 through 45. And I'll not read all of it, but I'll summarize it just for time's sake. Jesus says that an unclean spirit goes out of a man and he seeketh rest. And if he finds none, where does he go? Huh? If he cannot find rest, what is rest? Another body that he can possess. Another soul. Another life. If he can't find none, the Bible says he always comes back to the place that he departed. And if he finds it swept, garnished, and what? Empty. What does he do? He doesn't live there by himself. He goes and gets seven roommates that are more evil than himself. And they reside in the life of that person until Jesus said the latter days of that man are worse than the beginning days. Are you listening to me? You've got to make sure you put a fortress around the victories God brought in your life. 
because the enemy will come back in your life like a flood. And when he comes into your life and he sees that that victory is left unmaintained, when he sees that trophy of God's goodness, that statue of God's ability to deliver has been left there and it is empty, he will come back with seven more, more wicked than him. You must be on guard in these kinds of situations. If you've had deliverance and victory in the past, you can't let the spoilers get back in your life and form a stronghold because this time the stronghold will be eight times greater than it was the last time. Defend against the God of this world so that your mind does not become blinded to the things of God. And Paul wrote this in Galatians 5 and 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Listen to these. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm just going to say this. I trust and believe that nobody here is involved in those kind of things. But the question falls on these lines. Are you ready? The question falls on, I hope I'm giving you something to think about tonight. The question falls on these lines. Now, I know your spirit's probably eating this up, but your flesh is dying to get to in and out right now. Here's, here's where the questions are. Are we entertaining these things through our interaction with the world? Any of the aforementioned list. Are we entertaining these things with our interaction with the world? Am I listening to music that exalts those behaviors? Am I allowing Facebook and Instagram and Twitter to be a venue of gossip and talebearing? It used to be the old ladies on the phone. Now it's everybody on Facebook. I remember pastor had to get up and preach to all the old women. He'd always get up and preach to the women. Get off them phones. They'd always be on the line. Lord have mercy. When they started doing party line calling, you could three-way and add people to the call. Lord have mercy. One of them women come in, repent, confess to pastor. Six of us on the phone. We were just... He about started preaching against having call waiting and everything else. So, so, am, so am, am I using these, am I watching movies, television shows? Am I using internet venues that portray any of the things that were mentioned? Are they entertaining me without offending my spirit? Am I letting spoilers come into my life through these unguarded gates to wreak havoc in my life? No, no, not to take you out of the church but disconnect you so that you don't have power in the spirit realm. And I've discovered that I can't make a list long enough to keep you honest. It's not possible. As one might say about getting involved in these things, but I can tell you one thing, that there is a price that comes when we lower our holiness standard and we allow things into our life that God intended for us to keep out. And Jesus said, you must sweep the house and clean it, organize it. But then you've got to fill it. You've got to fill it with righteousness. You've got to fill it with godliness. And you've got to fill it with holy things. 
things that are pleasing to him. Is this all right tonight? Don't worry, I'm almost done. Brother Lucas, come. I've got six pages and I'm not going to finish it. I think I've said enough. We've got to sweep the house and then we've got to fill it. The last one was the Valley of Zebulun. The third place that the spoiler was to go was in the valley. There are some things that take place in the valley of the Bible. The Bible makes note of valleys as being, a well water, being well watered by mountain streams. The Bible makes mention of, of valleys being places where fountains and springs and rivers and brooks and tributaries are. Valleys are fruitful with lush produce and where a quiet place of peace is present. That's in the valley. The Philistine spoilers are desperate to get into the valleys of our life so that they can commandeer them and take over the productivity and our walk with God. They want in the valley of your life. But going back to the Bible, valleys are descriptive, descriptive of a lot of things. Here's some of the things the Bible likened the valley to. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 11. It likened the valley to blessings in 2 Corinthians 20 and uh, 26. Uh, the removal of obstacles in Isaiah 40 and Luke 3. Victory in Joshua and 1 Kings. Prosperity in Numbers 24. Growth in Deuteronomy 34. The valley was noted as refreshing in Joel 3. Holiness in Psalm 60. Craftsmanship in 1 Chronicles 4. These are places that the spoilers want to get in. And if they can thwart production from taking place in the valley, then they can shut down everything that we can do both individually and collectively as a church if they get in the valley. They want to destroy your productivity in the valley. These raiders, these spoilers, these, these bandits want to come in and they want to disrupt the production of new souls in the harvest they want to disrupt production of believing God for blessings they want to disrupt the production of victory they want to disrupt a man uh, the production that comes with prosperity in your personal life and revival and refreshing and a hunger for holiness these they want to come in and they want to turn all of that upside down and they they want to spoil it you got to make sure to put your guard up for the three Philistines Spoilers, would you stand with me? Here's the remedy. These spoilers, these Philistine spoilers, these fleshly spoilers want to get into places of intercession, number one. They want to get in places of past victories, number two. And number three, they want to get in places where there is spiritual production. And they want to close it down, what God has determined he wants to do in your life. The only, listen to me, the only remedy against these nasty Philistine spoilers was the two forgotten swords that were in possession of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Everything is gone. There are no weapons left to defend them except two forgotten swords. But look what happens in 1 Samuel 14, 12 through 16. It said, and the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer uh, slew after him. And that, 
first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within as it were and half an acre of land which a yoke and oxen might plow and there was trembling in the host in the field and among all the people the garrison and the spoilers they trembled and the earth quaked and there was a very great trembling and the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah and Benjamin looked and behold the multitude melted away and they went on beating down one another. We have got to get our hands back on the Word of God and we've got to use the Word of God for everything we have. We have got to clutch our hands to the gospel. We've got to get in love with the doctrines of the Word, the promises of the Word, the healings, the blessing and the hope that is in the Word of God because everything that the spoilers attempt to take away from us, we can find defending by putting our hand on the power of God's Word. You say, Pastor, I'm just one person. Saul, his son, Jonathan, and his armor bearer turned an entire army of spoilers away, just two of them, by getting on their hands and feet and fighting back saying I am not letting down this side of the army I cannot tell you strongly enough if you think your prayer doesn't matter you are sadly mistaken your ability to grab a sword and to pray in the spirit and to intercede can make all the difference between revival and regression between revival and regression well, Pastor, I thought that was your job. No. It's all of our responsibility. We are all equally charged with the task of defending ourselves and the church from the spoilers that the Philistines want to bring into your life. I'm talking to some people here right now. It's been a long time since you prayed intercessory prayer. It's been a long time since you've had victory in your prayer closet. I'm telling you, Tonight, put your hand back on the sword and go back into that place of prayer and consecration. Weep and intercede before the Lord. What did we say intercessory prayer was? One hand to the person in need and one hand to the God that can supply that need. And what do we do? Shout till it happens? Dance till it happens? You pray and you pray and you weep you agonize and you pray and you weep and you agonize and you travail and you sob and you intercede and it may take days it may take months it may take years until eventually God's hand and their hand is connected first church I cannot tell you there is no strategy there is no implement there is no evangelist there is no prophet there is, there is no outreach program. There is not enough gifts to give away. There is, enough, there is not enough tricks we can learn to have true revival. True revival only comes when the people of God get one hand on the world and one hand on God and pray and pray and pray and pray until the two become connected in the supernatural. I believe with all of my heart. 
I've been promising to close for a few minutes, but I want to tell you this, I believe with all my heart because I have seen it too many times in the past. That revival is not dependent upon the evangelist or the pastor or the leadership team. All of those things are blessings. It's not dependent upon outreach strategies or retention strategies. It is dependent upon a church that knows how to weep between the porch and the altar. Put one hand in God's hand and put one hand in the harvest field and grab and pray and weep and cry and intercede and travail with everything you have. Listen to me. Until prayer nights get as popular as Sundays. Until you are as comfortable in your prayer closet as you are on a Sunday morning, revival can't flow to your side. But when the church, you know, every great revival that has swept the world came out of a prayer meeting. Name me one revival that came from an evangelist preaching a series of services. Name me one revival that came because there was some latest trick that could be done to get people into church. Not one. Not one. Great revival is not measured by how fast we shout and how good church is. Revival, true revival is measured in a prayer room first. When we sow in tears, then I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. I feel God stirring us up going into this awakened conference. I feel, I feel there's an appetite. There's a longing in the people of God. There's a longing in the heart of God's people saying, I'm thankful for church. I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters. I'm thankful for the blessings of God. But there is just something that is missing. There's just something that is missing that I want. And I'm telling you what it is. Get in that prayer closet. And look into the mirror as uncomfortable as it is in your closet of prayer. And say, search me, O God. See if there be anything in me unpleasing to you. Then make it right with God. And then pray and weep. weep for, have you wept for Woodland lately? Have you really got on your face and wept for this city? And wept for this county? And called out on the name of the Lord? I was up here a while back. Amen. And one of the people from the church uh, over here came into the office over there and they thought I was dying, hitting the door. Is everything okay? Is everything okay? I tell them, I'm just praying here. When's the last time we've gotten on our face and just wept? I'm not asking you to do that tonight. If you want to do that, you go right ahead. I'm not here to manipulate your emotions. I'm not here to try to make you feel bad if you haven't. I'm just here to put a weapon in your hand and say, do with it what you want. You can lay it down if you want to or you can pick it up if you want to. You can respond if you want to. You don't have to respond. But here's what I believe. God's going to send them from the north, the south, and the east, and the west. And as new ones come in, they're going to pick up the sword you laid down. And they're going to go to battle. And there's going to be a church of weeping. And there's going to be a church of praying. And there's going to be a church of intercession. Amen. And our church won't just be known for awakening. It won't just be known for good music. It won't be just known for preaching. But this is going to be a church in all of the West Coast that's going to be known. If you want to get a hold of God, you go to that church. They'll pray. And when they pray, heaven moves. And when they pray, hell shakes. And when they pray, miracles happen. And when they pray, cancers disappear. And when they pray, prodigals come home. And when they pray, the dead come back to life again. That only happens when we are willing to defend the spoilers that are trying to come in 
surrender. Yeah, I'm going to have to give up some things. Yeah, I'm going to have to surrender some things. Yeah, I'm going to have to cut off appetites that my flesh has. But I want what God has for my life more than I want the next air that I breathe. I want what God has for my family. I want what God has for my co-workers. I want what God has for my extended friends and family. I want what God has for this church more than I want to be entertained, God. I want you more than I want anything. Lord, I want to walk into that quiet, that secret place of prayer. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that something would be ignited within your people tonight, oh God. That something would be stirred in us, oh Lord. I pray that we would not become comfortable with complacency. I pray, oh God, tonight that something would burn within our bosom, oh God. That something would get in us like fire shut up in our bones. Oh God, like the prophet Jeremiah when he prayed, Lord, that I would my head were waters and my eyes were fountains. Oh God, I pray that there would be a spirit of intercessory prayer that would break out through our men and women in this church. Lord, I pray a spirit of intercessory prayer. Lord, not just in this building, but in their home and in their car and in the quiet place of their life. Lord, I pray tonight that there would be defenders. Oh God, against the saboteurs of the Philistines that would want to come and rob them of their prayer life and rob them of their victory and rob them of their productivity in the name of Jesus. Would you just lift your voice and pray to the Lord right now for just a few moments in the name of hallelujah come on take one hand and put it in that person's hand that you're praying for come on grab that loved one right now grab this city in one hand come on grab the city of Woodland in one hand grab the city of Esparto in one hand grab Yolo County in one hand somebody grab UC Davis in one hand come on get the hand of the lost in this city right now Come on, grab the hand of the lost. You pass them on the work on the way to work every day. You sit beside them in traffic. You sit with them in work. Come on, they're, they're nameless, but they're not faceless. You see them right now. Grab their hand right now and reach up to heaven and grab the hand of God and pray. Come on, pray till you feel connected with the lost and with the Savior. With the unredeemed and the Redeemer, pray as you're connecting to both worlds right now. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.